Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Another day, another week, and what a week it has been. There were things we would rather not hear about, and then there were occasions designed to make us forget our troubles and to improve our lives. Today is the 23rd of November 2021, or in the Hebrew calendar, the 19th of Kislev 5782. It is also the birthday of the 14th President of the United States, Franklin Pierce, the outlaw Billy the Kid, and Harpo Marx of the Marx Brothers comedy team, all born in the 19th century. So, I suppose only the older ones among you will know about them. Yes, we are all getting older. Life is also slowly getting on an even keel. Now that the COVID infections in Israel are getting under control and most of the population has submitted to at least one vaccination and the largest part have even received the third or booster shot, life seems to be returning to near normal. Large indoor gatherings are permitted for double vaccinated and masks are mandated at such events, although the latter is not strictly being adhered to. Among the noteworthy events last week was the inauguration of a new centre for Nefesh Benefesh, and President Isaac Herzog received the country's religious leaders of all denominations to proclaim a joint call for mass vaccination against COVID-19. And at the Friends of Zion Museum in Jerusalem, there was a beauty pageant for Miss Holocaust Survivor. And I shall talk about all those. Also in the program, there is a detailed and extensive report about the International Climate Conference, COP26, held in Glasgow, Scotland, an international event that dominated the news for the past two weeks. But I begin with this. According to our scriptures, Ethics of the Fathers, 1 verse 2, Gemilut Chasadim, or simply Chesed, Doing acts of kindness is one of the pillars upon which the world stands. In Israel, more than in any other country, this is unmistakably manifest in everyday life. There are dozens of voluntary, non-profit organizations with a minimum of professional staff dedicated to assist anyone in a multitude of situations. In fact, were it not for the thousands of volunteers all over the country, we would not function as well as we do. Stay tuned. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Doing acts of kindness is one of the pillars upon which the world stands. In Israel, this is unmistakably manifest in everyday life. There are dozens of voluntary, non-profit organizations dedicated to assist anyone 
one of those that has in recent years grown to become one of the prominent pillars of Aliyah, immigration to Israel, is Nefesh Benefesh. It was founded 20 years ago by Rabbi Yoshua Fass and Tony Gelbert to assist North American and British Jews to make Aliyah. Since then, they have brought more than 70,000 Jews of all ages to Israel. I'm sure that many listeners came to live here by that route. This week, Nefesh Benefesh celebrated the opening of a state-of-the-art campus in Jerusalem, comprising an office floor, multiple outdoor and indoor spaces for Aliyah-related event programming, and the campus includes a conference hall, meeting rooms, and a multimedia presentation center. It is situated adjacent to Cinema City, close to the government quarter of Jerusalem and city center. Israel's state president, Isaac Herzog, who cut the ribbon to officially open the campus, said, We are in a unique time, clearly, when it comes to dealing with the story of Aliyah. Because Aliyah is something which I always say is metaphysical. It goes way beyond something logical. We are a unique nation that people ascend to the Holy Land and make Aliyah. And definitely, they make Aliyah in this era where the, when the world is mobile, when people move from place to place, when they can move to perhaps safer places. And all of a sudden, we've seen in the last year a tripling of Aliyah from the United States of America, something which speaks for itself. And I believe the great service of Nefesh Benefesh is so important to the Jewish people, the state of Israel, the connection between the two, and the future of Judaism from America in the state of Israel. So I'm extremely grateful to Nefesh Benefesh for leading this outstanding venture with so many excellent partners who are represented here. I'm very, very happy to be here because I believe that the growth of this organization is vital for the story of Aliyah from all over the world and the story of Aliyah from the United States. Naturally, it was mentioned correctly by Lital. I have a special affinity to the Sochnut, the Jewish Agency for Israel. Aliyah requires today something else. In many ways, you need a custom-made Aliyah because you're dealing with people who are extremely sophisticated, who can have an immense contribution to the well-being economy and the horizon of Israeli innovation and so much more if you plan it correctly and of course supplying information because it's so complicated these days with the bureaucracy that entails and I know it's extremely bureaucratic unfortunately we are dealing with governments which have no other choice in this modern age but to check people and review them and see that all is operating according to the law and regulations. And that's where Nefesh Benefesh has shown immense professionalism, a true ability to attend to the needs of so many Olim. And finally, I also have a special affinity to English speakers as well. I love all of them. I love all of them from all over the world. And the story of Aliyah warms my heart big time. And I love meeting Olim and speaking to Olim. But the Anglos, they deserve a seat of their own. Don't we agree? So I welcome all of you, Olim, from English-speaking countries who are working with Nefesh Benefesh and all the partners who are supporting Aliyah from all over the world. 
And if we move ahead with a grand plan, five years, whereby we can bring half a million olim and change the state of Israel, the nation state of the Jewish people, in a very, very dramatic way moving forward. Co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh, Rabbi Yehuda Fass, listed what were for him the most memorable moments of the last 20 years. Tonight, of course, is a very emotional moment for the entire Nefesh Benefesh family. Over the last 20 years, we've had the remarkable privilege of playing a part in over 70,000 unique Aliyah journeys. And we've experienced some unforgettable moments. We landed three Aliyah charter flights simultaneously from the U.S., U.K., and Canada. We held a spontaneous Sheva Brachot, a mid-flight, with musical accompaniment of the Olim on board. We celebrated 2,000 lone soldiers from 64 countries standing in a sea of languages, but united and unified for the cause of serving our country. We've witnessed several proposals at the bottom of the stairs on the tarmac. As we open our doors, not of a plane, but to a permanent new home in Yerushalayim, Yerah Kodesh, not to a thunderous welcoming crowd, but to a boundless future of possibilities, of enhancing our services both pre- and post-Aliyah, facilitating and assisting more olim, opening a summer camp for Olim, launching an institute for advancements of policy and strategy, initiating a Zionist educational track, just to name a few, projects that resonate the mission, vision, values of our homeland. And I know that Bezrat Hashem, we are only getting started. That this campus is a house of service and celebration, of education and inspiration of inclusiveness and respect, of partnership and pride. Not just an impressive edifice, but a beautiful nefesh that resides within. Among other speakers were Israel's Chief Rabbi David Lau, Minister of Aliyan Integration Pnina Tamano Shata, and co-founder of Nefesh Ben Nefesh Tony Gelbert, who looked forward to the many olim who will use this building. God willing, hundreds of thousands of Olim will use this building as a warm and welcoming place to facilitate their Aliyah and help them adjust to life in Israel, their new home. We will use this campus and its activities as a beacon of light for Olim from all over the world. I was given a lot of very constructive advice. One was, if you want to make Aliyah, you need Pesach. I said, I need Pesach? I didn't even understand what the person was telling me. But then I figured it out. You need protexia, you need sablanut, and if that didn't work, you need chutzpah. But thank God, things are changing. And the other very, very encouraging words and advice I was told, you're both crazy. It's impossible to increase Aliyah from America. Well, you know, they say, the only impossible journey is the one you never begin. The chief rabbi fixed the mezuzah to end the celebration. Turn almost any corner in Israeli cities, and somewhere near you, you'll find one of those charitable organizations. Based in Haifa is Yat Ezel Lechaver, the Helping Hand Foundation. They help to alleviate the suffering of Israel's large and ever-growing population of hungry and needy people. Yes, unfortunately, 
through the provision of food and other services, and they work in collaboration with the Friends of Zion Museum in Jerusalem. Each year, they hold a beauty pageant in Haifa for Miss Holocaust survivor to bring some fun and excitement into their lives. Due to the COVID, the last one was held in 2018, and this year, Yat Ezra Lechaver decided to hold one on a smaller scale at the Friends of Zion Museum in Jerusalem before an invited audience, but it was simultaneously broadcast on YouTube. Among hundreds of contestants, ten finalists were selected. They were questioned in turn by the two MCs, international model and TV presenter Moran Atias and entertainer Nancy Brandes. Among the judges were Ravid Asaf, who was Miss Israel in 1992, Tamar Hausner Rave, chairwoman of Channel 12, and Miss Israel 2021, Noah Kochwa, who will compete in the Miss Universe contest later this year that will be held in our most southern city, Elat. We heard both the museum's founder, Dr. Mike Evans, and the CEO of Ezra Lechaver, who spoke some encouraging words to the contestants. Last year, Dr. Evans opened a five-star guest house within the museum building at a cost of $10 million, which allows Holocaust survivors to stay as guests free of charge whenever they visit Jerusalem. The winner and Miss Holocaust Survivor 2021 was 86-year-old Selina Steinfeld from Haifa. It was a happy and entertaining evening with snacks and drinks and everybody had a good time. The Turks are at it again. They arrested an Israeli couple on vacation in their country. While in Istanbul's Kamlika Tower, the tallest building in Europe, Natalie and Modi Oaknin, both bus drivers from Modi'in, apparently took a picture of the residence of Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, as tourists do. According to one version, a staff member overheard their conversation and reported them to the police, who promptly arrested them as spies. The Turkish friend with them was also arrested. Another version I heard is that they were on a boat trip on the Bosphorus and took a picture while passing that building. Three matters arise from this that are puzzling. Are tourists closely followed and observed by secret police showing that their every step is monitored? Secondly, if it is forbidden to take photographs, then why were they not instructed accordingly at the entrance to the tower or on the boat? And thirdly, it can be safely assumed that Israel already has photos of the president's residence from every angle and does not have to rely on snaps taken by a couple out to enjoy themselves. More after the break. Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. 
But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For a lighten up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And now, here is Walter Bingham. If it is forbidden to take photographs, then why were they not instructed accordingly at the entrance to the tower or on the boat? And thirdly, it can be safely assumed that Israel already has photos of the president's residence from every angle and does not have to rely on snaps taken by a couple out to enjoy themselves. When Israeli consular staff visited them, it became apparent that their conditions were less than satisfactory. It was hoped that through diplomatic circles the matter could be cleared up and that the couple could return home, but now they have been charged with espionage and will have to await trial. Turkey is home to more than 3.6 million Syrian refugees who constitute the vast majority of over 4 million refugees and asylum seekers currently living in the country, making Turkey the world's largest host of refugees. That is obviously a bone of contention with the Turkish population that has begun to publicly demonstrate. It seems that the refugees are well enough catered for to be able to buy bananas that the locals cannot afford. The Syrians provoke by prominently eating bananas in public places. It can only be assumed that the Turkish government seeks every opportunity to prevent unrest by diverting attention from their internal problems by any means, even by accusing innocent Israeli tourists as spies. Since this program was prepared, there was a surprise U-turn in the attitude of the Turkish authority, and Modi and Natalie Oknin were suddenly released from prison and have thankfully returned to Israel. Whilst behind-the-scenes diplomatic activities where the cause of this sudden shift in Turkish attitude, sources confirmed that there was no reciprocal deal made. What I find odd is that both Prime Minister Bennett and President Herzog have telephoned the Turkish president to thank him for his kindness. As the release confirmed their innocence, why should both our highest officers of state express gratitude for the unjustified act by personally phoning the Turkish president and thereby passing a political hint? The moral of this story is don't travel to Turkey. Instead, have a turkey for your Thanksgiving feast on November 25th. The ominous and threatening noises against Israel emanating from Iran must be taken seriously. Therefore, one of Israel government's major tasks at this time is to protect the country from an Iranian attack. I know that our defense forces have made several exercises to be prepared for any eventuality, whether by air attacks or rockets from Hezbollah in Lebanon. But is it now the right time when the country must be united in case it may have to face an existential threat from outside 
to embark on policies that will agitate and cause disquiet in an entire sector of our people instead of unity? I will admit that the ultra-Orthodox communities have not always been the most law-abiding group of citizens. Whilst peaceful demonstrations are an expression of democracy, they frequently, violently rebel against actions of state that they believe to be against their interest or religious belief. For instance, the imprisonment of their demonstrators, the proposed implementation of Shabbat transport services, or desecration of Shabbat by opening places of entertainment, to name just three. But this government in particular is making them the target of regulations and sanctions that restrict their ultra-religious lifestyle, many unjustified. Whilst I agree with the laws that should be inclusive of all people of military age, funds for those worthy of support for serious Torah study should always be catered for within the budget for education. There are more instances of unjust discrimination against that sector of our society. The latest attempt to curtail the powers of the rabbinate affects kosher cell phones. These are mobile phones used by the ultra-Orthodox public that have no connection to the wider internet or services considered objectionable and can only make and receive calls. They don't even have cameras, nor are they able to call social services or helplines, such as rape crisis. They are also allocated a special number that makes any call immediately recognizable as coming from a kosher phone. The Minister of Communications, Voas Hendel, intends to break up the monopoly of the present Rabbinic Committee's control over the kosher phone market, rather as is happening with the kosher food oversight, establish other religious organizations to control the market according to their presumably less stringent standards. The cell phone companies will be required to record the numbers they block and give reasons for doing so. Hendel said, Transparency will end the use of extraneous considerations which have been part of the mechanism of blocking numbers until now. If you have a view on this matter, please write to me at Walter at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com or put your comment in the appropriate section on the website. Now to the subject of climate change. There are certain areas in the world that regularly, at certain times of the year, experience natural weather phenomena with extraordinary destructive powers. From June to September, the south coast of the United States prepares for the hurricane season. It's a period of tropical cyclones that form in the North Atlantic. In simple terms, they are fueled by the warm air over water that rises and meets the cold air above and produces winds up to 150 miles per hour. The same occurs in areas of the South Pacific, where they are called typhoons. The associated thunderstorms and heavy precipitation can cause severe flooding. In recent years, those events became successively stronger and more destructive. 
Meteorological statistics have shown that the Earth's average surface air temperature has increased by about 1.1 degrees Celsius since 1900, with over half of that increase occurring since the mid-1970s. The cause of this global warming is the production of various gases resulting from industrialization and our methods of producing the energy required to sustain our lifestyle. We are almost totally dependent on electricity. Most of the world's electricity is generated by steam turbines whose power is derived from burning fossil fuel like coal. Some use combustion gas turbines that are driven by liquid fuels. The major consumer of liquid fuels is the transport industry, our cars and trucks, cruise ships and of course airplanes. The burning of these fuels discharges hot gases which are lighter than air and rise up into the atmosphere. Chemically, coal is mostly carbon which, when burned, reacts with oxygen in the air to produce carbon dioxide, a heat-trapping gas. When released into the atmosphere, carbon dioxide works like a blanket, warming the earth above normal limits. Scientists warn that if we continue to mine and burn fossil fuels, the air temperature will eventually rise to limits that will upset the delicate balance that sustains our life on Earth. Burning liquid fuel has the same effect. The ice cap will melt even more with the result that oceans will rise and cause low-lying areas to flood permanently. The small Pacific island states will totally disappear. Air over the oceans will be warm throughout the year, causing frequent heavy precipitation and hurricanes. During the past few decades, there have been discussions about methods to prevent a natural disaster. The best known was the 2016 conference in Paris, but to use a colloquial term, they always kicked the can down the road. This year, for the first time ever, it was resolved to once again convene a truly international conference on climate change with the participation of all countries in the world to put words into action. So this month, COP26 took place in the city of Glasgow in Scotland with delegations from almost 200 countries taking part. It began in the presence of world leaders, presidents and prime ministers from countries large and small attended the first two days to show their commitment to preserve our planet for future generations. Even US President Biden made the journey to speak about the importance of unanimous dedication to this important task. The conference was held under the chairmanship of British Cabinet Minister Alok Sharma. Its mission was to achieve international agreement to reduce global warming by phasing out the production and use of fossil fuels, particularly coal, and to set successive carbon emission targets aiming for complete elimination by 2030 also to contribute funds to assist the poorer and developing nations to achieve that aim. 
Another aim was to find ways to reduce the level of methane emission. That is the main constituent of natural gas and reduces the level of oxygen in the air. Other sources originate from the decomposition of organic materials, for instance landfill sites. Keep it here, the most important part is still to come. Are you tired of political correctness and the fear that you might offend someone? I'm not afraid to offend you. Wow, look who's talking tough. One has to be tough to keep sane today. Hi, I'm Alan Skorsky. And I'm Bela Seabrow. And join us every Wednesday for The Definitive Wrap as we interview the most sought-after guests and expose progressive trends that masquerade as enlightenment but actually destroy our freedoms. We are the No Wolf Zone, so buckle up for this exciting show. Buckling up, but I'm driving. <laughs> sure, you can drive, but I'm the navigator. Tune in for the No Nonsense, the definitive rap show, every Wednesday on Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Another aim was to find ways to reduce the level of methane emissions. That is the main constituent of natural gas and reduces the level of oxygen in the air. Other sources originate from the decomposition of organic materials, for instance landfill sites. Advocates for the new Green Deal want to even completely stop the production of beef because cows discharge methane gas. 100 countries including the US will reduce 30% of methane production by 2030. The main resolve of the conference was to ensure that global warming does not exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius because anything higher endangers the planet. New analysis suggests that without immediate action the world is heading for 2.4 degrees of warming by mid-century. All participating countries agreed with that aim. However, how that was to be achieved against the economic interests of the various states was the cause of hard and intensive discussions during the two-week duration of the conference. Australia is the second largest exporter of coal, mainly to China, and as in just a few months there will be elections, Prime Minister Scott Morrison will have to walk a tightrope between trying to comply with his country's COP26 participation and the possibility of economically ruining the large coal mining area of New South Wales, producing exports worth $14 billion annually. Australia let it be known that there is little prospect of the coal industry closing before 2060. Russia the third largest coal exporter will also not commit until possibly 2060 and China is still constructing new coal mines, effectively paying lip service to COP26. Neither China nor India nor Australia will commit to phase out fossil fuel. If global warming were to reach 2 degrees Celsius, Low-lying island countries would totally disappear, particularly in the South Pacific, among them the Marshall Islands, Palau and others. 
Also the Maldives and Madagascar in the Indian Ocean and even Bangladesh would succumb to the climate catastrophe, quite apart from low-lying coastal regions in the world's developed countries like Holland. Several of the non-industrial small countries that have already suffered damage resulting from global warming are requesting damage funding or payment from the developed world for effective anti-flood adaptation. The weaker nations have kept their cards close to their chest until the very last day, like Papua New Guinea, when they expressed concern about the deforestation and suggested that they should have compensation for not engaging in this practice. I found that request strange. Should we all get paid for doing the right thing in life? 100 countries have committed to halt deforestation by 2030. Who knows how much damage they can cause in the next eight years. It was hoped that the annual $100 billion fund agreed upon at the Paris Conference in 2016 for the industrialized nations to help the poorer countries to comply with the aims set by the conference agreement will now finally be implemented. One of the prominent participants and movers was John Kerry, President Biden's climate change envoy. The conference ended when the final text of the COP26 climate change agreement was accepted by all, but only after intervention by China and India to change the wording about coal production from phasing out to phasing down. The smaller, low-lying island nations felt that the agreement was thrust upon them with nothing to show for it, while China, India, Australia and the other large polluters got what they wanted. COP26 set very ambitious targets, short of the expectations from the Paris Conference. It now remains to be seen if the many words that were spoken will translate into action. Does little Israel not have more important priorities than global warming? Why did we have to send a 140-strong delegation as well as representatives from our industries? Even Prime Minister Bennett attended the initial meetings, taking every photo opportunity while bumping elbows with world leaders. Another example of Bennett's delusion of grandeur. Yet President Xi Jinping of China, whose country is 437 times larger than Israel, nor the President of Russia, Vladimir Putin, both heads of the world's largest polluters, did not feel it important enough to attend in person. Would Israel's change over to electric vehicles make any measurable difference to global warning while the largest countries of the world continue to burn coal? In the 1930s, David Ben-Gurion, then leader of the Yeshuv in Palestine, proclaimed that China would be one of the great world powers of the future, as in so many things he was right, and he would not be surprised to learn that China has developed close strategic, economic, military and technological links with Israel and is our third largest trade partner globally and the largest in East Asia. Trade volume has increased from 
50 million in 1992 to 12 billion in 2020, but showing a trade deficit of 3.43 billion US dollars. It is remarkable, however, that China finds it necessary to reaffirm its support for a two-state solution to the Palestinian-Arab-Israel conflict. According to the Palestinian Authority's official Wafa news agency, President Xi Jinping sent a congratulatory letter to PA Chairman Mahmoud Abbas on the occasion of the 33rd anniversary of the PA's Declaration of Independence. In the letter, President Xi said he was interested in enhancing Chinese PA relations with a view of pushing forward joint cooperation in all fields, and he reiterated his country's firm support of the just cause of Palestine and for the establishment of an independent and fully sovereign state of Palestine. Interestingly, China has borders with 14 countries and has ongoing territorial disputes with 17 states. They are India, Taiwan, the Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, Japan, South Korea, North Korea, Singapore, Brunei, Nepal, Bhutan, Laos, Mongolia, Myanmar and Tibet. As if that is not enough for them, they also are meddling in the internal affairs of Israel. In 2013, President Xi presented a four-point proposal to end the Israeli-PA conflict to establish an independent Palestinian state based on the pre-1967 borders, as they call the armistice lines, with eastern Jerusalem as the capital, immediately ending Israeli settlement building, taking immediate measures to prevent violence against civilians, he didn't say if that also meant against Israelis, and calling for an early resumption of peace talks. He should really deal with his own territorial conflict before venturing to solve ours. It seems that instead of seeking the good for the peaceful coexistence on our small planet that is already threatened by forces beyond our control, the ever-growing greed of nations for markets and power is causing conflicts and wars that are destabilizing. And because we now have weapons of unspeakable power and force, it is leading us to self-destruction. It was learned that the cleaner of the House of Defense Minister Benny Gantz was arrested and has been charged with espionage. The attempt was prevented due to the swift action of the Shabak, Israel's security agency. He did, however, manage to send photographs of the interior to his Iranian contact. Omri Goren reached out to an official associated with the Iranian regime and offered to provide information on his employer and his computer, and he asked for just $7,000. He did, however, not have access to classified information. It has come to light that this man is a career criminal. An intensive investigation is proceeding. The international community is already dealing with the results of climate change. Nations must now also turn to the equally important matter of desisting from wanting to exert hegemony over other countries' affairs 
Only then will there be a future for generations to come. And with that warning I end. May the Almighty and Lord of the Universe guide the actions of all governments and heads of state to lead us to peace and happiness. I'd like to hear from you, so if you have any comments, suggestions or criticism, please write to me to walter at israelnewstalkradio.com where you will always get my personal reply. Or put your comment on the appropriate section on the Walter Bingham file page of our website. Until the next time, this is Walter Bingham wishing you a good and safe week. Remember that it's the older generation that provided the means for you and the current generation to live as you do. So please take the time and make the effort to visit your elderly neighbor. You cannot imagine what pleasure you will give. Goodbye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.